He is a Fox News contributor, a former deputy counselor to the Ken Starr, and he has been in the Department of Justice for over 12 years. How are you, Sol? I'm great. How are you, Evan? Excellent, excellent. Has it been a dereliction of duty when it comes to the FBI's investigation of the Clinton emails, especially James Comey? Well, I don't think anybody knows for sure because we don't know the full story even though we have an IG investigation, the IG investigation by Horowitz that came out about a year ago was much narrower in focus than I had anticipated. So I would say, uh, based upon what we do know, there was most likely a dereliction of duty. Let's put it that way, and a very serious one. And I'm happy to explain why that was. Yeah, let us know. Well, most people focus on whether or not Mrs. Clinton should have been indicted uh, for what she did. And the bigger focus is why did the why was the investigation set up in the way that it was? Uh, number one, there clearly should have been a special counsel appointed because you're talking about the, the former secretary of state of the president's party. You're talking about the presumptive candidate for president of that party. And you're talking about a, the president himself who emailed Mrs. Clinton on her private email account. Right. So if there was ever an investigation to call for a special counsel, this should have been it. And it wasn't done. And Mr. Comey, who uh, never hesitated to call for a special counsel when a Republican was president, uh, we didn't hear a peep from him here. Now, let's go beyond that, and let's talk about the fact that there were two separate investigations. Most people still don't understand this. There was the investigation of the email server, okay, which, which was really run by, even though they called it a criminal investigation, it was run by counterintelligence agents and prosecutors who, in fact, don't have a lot of experience in building criminal cases. There was a totally separate case on the Clinton Foundation, a political corruption case, a standard criminal law enforcement investigation. Those investigations should have been joined from the outset because it became apparent very early that the whole reason the separate email server was set up was so that Mrs. Clinton would not have to uh, respond to FOIA requests. She could, in other words, evade FOIA. And is that so, criminal? Uh, it, it depends on your intent. If you intentionally set out to thwart FOIA and conspire to do that, it very, it very much could be. Uh, the other problem you have is that it, it also explains why you would uh, put classified information at risk. I don't think there's anybody except complete lunatics uh, who believes that Mrs. Clinton intentionally set out to um, send classified information in an unprotected way, or let's put it this way, intended to give classified information to foreign powers. Right. The point is, if you understand what her, what her motive was, it explains her conduct. It's not just sloppiness or recklessness. It's a person who set out to 
hide information from the public. Now, another thing that people, many people don't realize is based upon what has been reported in the press and based on people in the FBI who were in the FBI at the time that I believe is that the people running the FOIA investigation, what I call the Clinton Foundation investigation, were in fact thwarted by the brass at the Bureau and were kept from looking in things they wanted to look at and in some instances could not look at documents because of agreements entered into between Clinton's attorneys and the, and the folks running the email investigation. So I know we're getting complicated there. But um, so I, I think it's safe to say uh, that the investigation was not run from its inception in, in a proper way. And I can tell you the agents, the case agents working the Clinton Foundation case uh, certainly felt that way. Okay. Um, now, how much of that Comey is responsible for, uh, you know, I can't say. I, th- I think the real blame there lays with the Department of Justice, okay. uh, not with Comey. Do you believe that James Comey has anything to worry about with these uh, investigations? I think he'll probably be come in for criticize for criticism in the in I. G. Horowitz's latest uh, investigation and report. Of course, Horowitz um, already strongly criticized him in the in the report on the email investigation that came out. Now, we're, what we're waiting for is the FISA, you know, the investigation of the FISA warrant. And uh, from Horowitz, that is. Uh, so I think Comey will probably be criticized. I don't think he really, um, I, I, I don't, I doubt there'll be any criminal charges against him. I think you see a lot of excitement on the right, the right. hard right, far right. They want to put people in jail. And as I said on TV the other day, uh, we shouldn't want to put our political enemies in jail. That's not how we do things here. Uh, unless they've actually committed real crimes and real felonies. So I certainly hope that nobody will be prosecuted as a result of this uh, unless unless they deserve it. I'd be very surprised if a, if a lot of the names you're hearing about do get prosecuted, uh, Brennan and, and Comey and Clapper. I think Comey's biggest vulnerability is probably um, the the memo that he leaked to his professor friend, his con- his right. his notes that he leaked. Um, I mean, clearly that's a, a violation of some kind. I think it would be very hard asked for him to be prosecuted for it. What do you think of the Attorney General William Barr's uh, appointment of Connecticut U.S. Attorney John Durham? What message does it send to the intelligence agencies? Uh, it sends a message to quit stonewalling. I'm I. Uh, I'm very, I'm, I'm certainly in the uh, minority here right now, but I'm very supportive of Bill Barr. I think he has uh, done a great job, and I think he is just the person we need here uh, because what he's going to do, he's appointed somebody who has an outstanding reputation as an apolitical U.S. attorney. So let's talk first about this investigation. Um, I think what people don't realize about Barr is he's an institutionalist and the institution that he loves is the department of justice. You know, I was at the department of justice a couple of weeks ago for the farewell ceremony for Rod Rosenstein. And it was very interesting. They held it in the great hall and they don't usually give a going away. It's very rare. It's very rare to do that for the deputy AG. And Barr was on the dais 
along with uh, on the podium, along with Rod Rosenstein and Jeff Sessions and Christopher Ray, head of the FBI. He's all about Barr is all about the integrity and continuity of the DOJ, Department of Justice, irrespective of what you you might hear otherwise. So I think he's doing this because if nothing is found by Durham, uh, he wants that to be the definitive story. Nobody will be able to say that the DOJ covered anything up anymore. And I think that's very healthy that, uh, for the republic because there are a lot of questions, very legitimate questions about the counterintelligence investigation of the Trump campaign. So now the second part of it that I think you asked me about was the memo that went out, the order basically that went out from the president ordering all of the other agencies, all of the intelligence to cooperate, agencies to cooperate fully. And I think that uh, that was necessary and called for. He didn't just declassify anything. This is being misreported by some people. The president didn't declassify anything. He ordered these people to give, these agencies to give all relevant information, classified or otherwise, to Barr. And Barr would make the decision about what gets declassified. That's the way to do it, um, to have the attorney general make that decision. I think it's necessary because we have seen um, time and again in this investigation that damaging material about the FISA investigation uh, was uh, withheld or redacted, and it's been like pulling teeth to get it out. And the best example I know of is that we only found out two or three weeks ago, the public only found out two or three weeks ago, that Christopher Steele, before the first FISA warrant was applied for, actually went to a State Department official and and made statements that... Um, were false and that actually showed that he was not a person of um, uh, credit credibility. They, they, they impugned his credibility. Uh, he gave false information about uh, a Russian consulate uh, in the U S that didn't even exist. Uh, he indicated that he had been talking to the press, which he had already told the FBI he would not do. And he made the statement that it's important that this stuff get, get out before uh, the election, uh, all of which is very relevant to his credibility, which the FBI vouched for in the FISA warrant. And what we don't know at this stage is whether or not that information that we know that information was sent to the FBI. We don't know if the person filling out the FISA application was aware of it. However, the point is, why are we finding about this out this now? Two years into an investigation, why are we just now as a as citizens of this republic finding out about this so the agencies these agencies have a history of stonewalling investigations and i think it's um something uh i'm not at all concerned about i'm very happy about it because i think people want to know people aren't going to be satisfied about this until they until they believe there's been a thorough investigation and let's look at some of the people on the right uh, let's look at the trump base uh, I think they will accept the results of an investigation led by uh, led by Barr's Justice Department, and, and I think it's important that they accept those results. Right. So that's my two cents on that. Do you believe uh, that the FISA courts have been a net negative or positive on how uh, these intelligence agencies conduct themselves? 
Well, I mean, we'll, we'll never know, will we? <laughs> well, that's because so much of it is classified. Right. I mean, I think they obviously do very important work and good work. And I think it's, it's a, a very necessary court. On the other hand, we, we know there have been enough uh, examples of abuses. We know that happens. I mean, the most recent example that we know about was this blistering opinion by the FISA court, um, public opinion, uh, about a 90-page opinion excoriating the Bureau for having basically violated FISA during a period in 2015 and 2016. So we've had uh, we've had incidents over the years that shows that there have been abuses, and uh, but uh, I certainly believe and uh, have been told by people in that area that it, it it's been very necessary. So okay. nobody wants another 9/11. No, definitely not. Can William Barr be put in jail for a congressional contempt of court? And if so, why have they not done it yet? And do you think uh, there might be a political reason why? Um, well, Barr, mm-hmm. keep in mind that Barr has gone, a, a member of the cabinet's in a different position than an advisor to the president. Okay. Uh, Barr, has, Barr has shown up, and he's already been questioned many times. What Barr has said is, I am not going to... Uh, and, of course, Congress is not a court. Right. House of Representatives is not a court. And what Barr has told them is, I'm not going to honor this subpoena because you're asking me to break the law. They want him to release the report, uh, the the complete Mueller report, which has grand jury information in it. So he would be committing a felony if he did that. He's not going to do that. And, by the way, um, no court is going to make him do that. There isn't a court in the country, and if there is a court crazy enough, a district judge in D.C. crazy enough to order him to do that, that will be overturned. So he's completely in the right there. Oh, okay. Because yeah. okay. I, so, I, I know the Democrats were uh, floating the idea that he might be uh, put in jail. So, Well, I, I don't believe that's going to happen, yeah. and uh, that hasn't happened in about, you know, about 90 years. Uh, I mean, they're crazy enough to try to do it, I guess, the, the uh, lunatic wing of their party. But again, that's the wrong battle. See, right. that's what's so inter- interesting to me. Just like going after McGahn, Don McGahn, who if you really read the, the obstruction section of the bar of the Mueller report closely, McGahn is a hero. Here's a guy who uh, is uh, was happy to serve the president, was a loyal, hard-right Republican, and right. did not do the improper things the president wanted him to do and advised the president. Uh, not to do certain things. The president ignored him and got in trouble, advised him never to meet with Comey alone. The president ignored him. Uh, and so why would you want to do that to McGahn? Now, what's the legal issue there? Again, right. McGahn was the White House counsel, so he's covered by executive privilege, and he has a right to claim executive privilege if, if the president demands it of him. And that issue will be litigated, and there are people who say that's been waived. Well, let, let a court decide that. Keep in mind, if I'm a, uh, if my attorney gets subpoenaed uh, to go to Congress, and, they, and, they, and the congressmen say to my attorney, tell us everything that Weisenberg told you uh, when he was seeking legal advice. Well, I, I'm allowed to tell my attorney, you are not authorized to release that. That violates attorney-client privilege. 
Why would you pick that fight when you have so many better fights to pick? The good fight they have is this ridiculous attempt by the president to keep his financial institutions, uh, you know, his banks and and his uh, secret yeah. and his accountants from being subpoenaed. He's he's already lost that in the lower court. He responded in a disgraceful way by attacking the judge as an Obama judge. But here's a newsflash: he's going to lose in the circuit court, and if and if the Supreme Court even decides to take it, he's going to lose. My opinion: he's going to lose either seven to two or nine to zero. Uh, that that would be the thing I would stake my claim on. Here's another example: the tax returns. I don't see how he wins that. Not only does Congress have oversight very broad oversight authority, but there's a specific statute passed in the Teapot Dome era that says Congress can ask for anybody's tax returns. Huh. So he's going to lose, okay? Uh, and he should lose. So I would focus on on matters like that. I think they've taken, they've made a mistake, they've taken too much of a scattershot approach, and there's a difference, and it was fun to pick on Barr, it's fun to pick on McGahn, but there's a better approach to take. You take the most outlandish claims by the president legally, and you ha you hammer him there if you want to win. When you were working uh, with Ken Starr on the impeachment of Bill Clinton, um, is it strange to you that Nadler had completely different opinions on what should and should not be made public? Uh, do you think there's a there's hypocrisy in that? Isn't it a shocking that politicians are hypocrites? I mean, you can you can do the same with. Uh, in fairness to Nadler, you could you could do the same with uh, with people on both sides of the aisle who were around back then. And I've seen examples with Lindsey Graham, who was in the House back then, of statements he's made about personal morality and fitness for the presidency. So um, I'm afraid that's the that's the uh, the currency, the coin of the realm in Congress is hypocrisy. Do you believe that the political divide in the United States is much more deeper and profound than the kind of things that we see uh, in Washington, D.C.? In other words, are those just a manifestation of what's really going on on the ground uh, in everyday life for Americans? I think it's uh, among the most, you know, we're in a dysfunctional and very bitter period, much more so than most periods in history. I mean, don't forget we had the years leading up to the Civil War, and if you take a look at the fights during the Washington, uh, particularly the second Washington administration, they were amazingly vituperative. So um, it's not completely unprecedented, but it's not. Uh, we're not in a good place right now. That's that's for sure. Wow. And um, so that's pretty ominous. So do you do you think these are kind of these times are um, are kind of like the seedlings to? potentially a very bad um, outcome like a civil war oh no i don't think so there's a lot of there's a lot of ruin in a country and, and we're a very stable country okay and I, I actually have been telling people i mean this is a test for us uh we have we have a president who's grossly ignorant of of our traditions of liberty uh who knows about as much civics as the average fifth grader maybe less <laughs> Uh, who's done and said outrageous things, and um, the so far, I would say, for the most part, the institutions have held. You know, we have many examples of cabinet members who have said, "No, we're not going to do this," or gotten him to change his mind. Uh, you had General Mattis who resigned over a matter of principle, 
And you have these examples in the Mueller report of, of a president who literally could not control himself. He, he, I mean, take a look at what Mueller was looking at originally was, um, was, was um, whether or not there was criminal conspiracy between Russia and members of the Trump campaign. And um, if the president had simply left Jim Comey alone, if he had, if he had uh, not told Don McGahn to call up Rod Rosenstein so that Rod could fire uh, Mueller, if he had just been able to control himself, right, uh, he'd be in a much different position right now. And um, that's to me one of the most disturbing things about the obstruction section of the Mueller report is the president's inability to control himself. That's extremely disturbing for me and for a leader. You know, our leader of our country, who has to face a very dangerous world. Right. So, and, what was your original question, though, about that? I kind of rambled on. So no, um, uh, the question was really um, kind of like oh, the country. What, yeah, what yeah. To the country. Yeah, the country. Uh, I, think, I think you are right yeah. that the country does seem to be uh, very divided. Even families at uh, at Thanksgiving have uh, have. A oh, right. right. They're, yeah. they're married people who can't talk about the election, who voted different ways. Right. But I guess my point is that, that you have to have faith in the country. You have to have faith in the institutions of the country. And the institutions, uh, I believe, are holding. Now, there are people who say, no, they're not holding. Look at what's happening at the border. Well, um, some of what Trump has done is legal, even if you don't like it. And if the stuff that isn't legal has been tested in the courts, the courts certainly aren't afraid of him uh, at all. And uh, so I, I think the system is working now. Um, I get very concerned when I see on the Democratic side of the aisle, I don't just mean politicians, I mean uh, people in the media and things like that. that when yeah. Jeff Daniels goes on TV and says, you know, we worry, I worry about the future of democracy. When people start talking about Trump won't leave office, you know. I, I don't like that kind of talk. No. Uh, it's irresponsible. To me, that, yeah. It's very irresponsible. Uh, I remember hearing... Uh, and one of the guys who talks a lot is uh, a lot of crazy stuff is this Norman Ornstein, this political scientist who, like, after the election and before the inauguration, was speaking at a private event with Democratic politicians and said, uh, you know, Jeff Sessions will not stop Donald Trump from declaring martial law. Just crazy. Wow. I mean, just create lunacy. And look what happened. Jeff Sessions properly recused himself from the investigation, and every time Trump tried to get him to unrecuse himself, he refused. And as a result of that, he was belittled, but he did the right thing. So people, uh, to me, that's another thing, uh, why we want a guy like Barr, why we want the Rod Rosensteins, and we want the Bill Bars, and we want people like my friend Eric Dryband, who's head of the Civil Rights Division in the Department of Justice, uh, even if you think Trump is the devil incarnate, uh, who do you want advising him? Who do you want in these positions? Look, you're never going to ideologically agree with them. We know that because they work for Trump. They're going to be conservative Republicans for the most part. But don't you want people in there who, uh, when push comes to shove, are not going to do something improper? I know I do. So uh, I'd rather have a strong attorney general with some gravitas. I think it's very uh, I think it's very, very telling 
and very disturbing that Barr has been attacked in the way that he's been attacked. Um, and I do think there's some people who are afraid. I don't necessarily think they're afraid of going to jail or prison, but they're afraid of the full truth coming out about uh, their part in the, it. Well, just a part about the investigation of the Trump campaign. Listen, that's a big deal. When you investigate the candidate of the major opposing party, when you, when you do an FBI investigation of them during a campaign, you better have a very strong reason, right? Right. And again, I'll ask something I've asked a lot on television. Why weren't they given a defensive briefing? Okay, the Trump campaign was given a general defensive briefing, the same kind that all candidates get. But given what the information that was received about potential Russian influence or attempts to influence the campaign, there should have been a, a more detailed defensive briefing of the campaign saying, look, folks, we have evidence that the Russians are trying to help you and to get you involved in this. Right. That just was, so, just like a, uh, when Diane Feinstein's uh, limo driver exactly. was known to be a, a Chinese spy. She was briefed on that and uh, protected. She was briefed on it. So the question is, why wasn't the Trump campaign briefed on it? And they asked Lisa Page um, when she was testifying under oath to one of the House committees, and they said, why wasn't this done? And she said, the evidence, we didn't think the evidence was strong enough. Um, well, if the evidence wasn't strong enough, why were you then able to turn around a couple of months later uh, and do a FISA application? I don't understand. <laughs> so these are things that are they're legitimate questions for people to ask. And um, so I think... Um, I think that some of the uh, some, I, I'm I'm disturbed, as you can tell, by a lot of things President Trump has done. But I'm equally disturbed when I hear uh, this very dangerous talk on the other side that this is an assault on democracy and all that. Uh, and of course, one of the ironies of that is that uh, even if you don't like what Trump is doing, why would you call it an assault on democracy? I might call it an, right. assault, an assault on liberty, right? I might call it an assault on the established order of things, but it's interesting that they choose the word assault on democracy. Uh, you know, tr uh, you can take the view that, look, here, here's what I think the view is after the Mueller report. Trump won the election and he won it fair and square. And by, by quote, resisting and saying he is not my president and things like that and refusing to accept it and saying he's Kremlin installed, who's Who's assaulting the Democratic result there? Exactly. And and like you mentioned earlier, Trump seems to be very impulsive, and uh, that creates concerns for some. But equally, yeah. equally as impulsive, I would say, are heads like uh, in the FBI, namely James Comey, uh, spying or ordering the spy on the, uh, on the Trump campaign. I think in a way that's also very... Uh, impulsive and irresponsible. Yeah, we don't know the full story there. You know, we don't know what the initial tip was. We don't know. I mean, we've been told that it was from the Australian ambassador, but we don't know. Uh, you know, it, it looks like some of the people that uh, Papadopoulos was, was interfacing with very early on were probably part of the counterintelligence yeah, uh, James Clapper came on TV not too long ago, 
and said this whole thing wouldn't have started if it wasn't for Obama, really um, kind of setting everything into motion. Interesting. In what sense? Uh, I believe he said uh, it was uh, Obama's wanting them to do like a an inquiry and into the right. Trump campaign. Yeah, and it was uh, it was because of him that this whole thing started. Yeah, it was only a few days ago he, he came out and said. Interesting. That. Well, yeah. you know, the among the many ironies is that the Obama wanted a reset with the Russians, made fun of Mitt Romney for calling the Russians our enemy, and then uh, and if you read, I don't know if you've read. A Russian Roulette by Michael Isakoff and David Korn, which is one of the early books written, which basically strongly suggested that there was a, um, that the Steele dossier was accurate. He's now has a different view, I think, safe to say. <laughs> but uh, if you look at that book, within the Obama administration, this is one of the ironies, Hillary Clinton was the, was the big hawk on Russia, you know, uh, thought that we should do more. Uh, against russia right and, what uh, wasn't obama on a caught on a hot mic talking to medvedev saying uh things like i'll have more flexibility after the election yeah my hands are tied right now but right. but at least that's before 2012 i mean you're talking about well beyond that well sol weisenberg thank you for being on my show today hey great to be here it's fun talk to you later all right thanks bye